0: There was a knock on my door. I was in college. It was the guy who lived down the hall. And I could tell as soon as I opened the door, something was wrong. He said, I can't believe it. I can't believe what I've just done. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go on with my life. He was a wreck. He was a mess. And a series of smaller bad choices had led him to a place where he made a really bad decision choice he made a really big mistake and he didn't know what to do and we spent some time talking and he finally got to the point where he's like I'm, i'm gonna keep living but i don't know how i'm ever going to recover from what i've just done here we are 15 years later And what's sad is that he never has. He's never been able to move beyond that mistake. You look at his life and he's never reached the full potential that he had. And he's always allowed one bad choice, after a series of smaller bad choices, to shape the outcome of his life. This morning we're going to talk about how to process and what to do after regret sets in. And a month ago we talked about regret. We talked about Peter and the experience that he had as a follower of Jesus. And even if you're not well-versed in Scripture, if you're somewhat familiar With the story of Jesus. You undoubtedly know the story of Peter. The disciple who proclaimed. That he would follow Jesus unto death. No matter what. I'm with you Jesus. Through thick and thin. You and I. We're together. Only to hours later. Deny even knowing him. Not once. Not twice. But three separate times. And we saw how after Jesus rose from the dead, he sought out Peter. And he asked him a question. Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter not once, not twice, but three times. Symbolically covering the mistakes that Peter had made. And when Peter answered, Jesus, you know that I love you, Jesus responded with the instruction to go and to to prove that love by serving other people. To go and to love others. And this morning, we have the privilege of picking up that story 30 to 35 years later, reading a letter that Peter wrote to some people and to some churches. And we get to see that regret doesn't have to shape our lives. Regret doesn't get to be the final word in our story if we don't allow it because God's love is greater and Jesus is bigger than all of our regrets and all of our mistakes. And this morning we're going to see a recipe. A recipe for how to move beyond regret into the life that God has called us all to experience. So if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app as we look at 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 5, verse 6, where we read these words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. The path to getting to where we need to go, especially after we deal with regret, starts with humility. It starts with humility. And in an age in this season where everybody wants to be an expert and everybody wants to be a celebrity and everybody's, willing, everybody's worried about building their own brand and building their own reputation, the message for those of us who follow Jesus is different. What he says is don't be worried about building your own brand. Don't be worried about building your own name. Don't be worried about your own empire. Instead, humble yourself. Be worried about humility. Now, humility is something that we instantly, we instantly recognize in other people. We instantly recognize humility in others. We instantly recognize when there's a lack of humility in others. Just the same. But it's not something that's as easily recognizable within ourselves. And so I read a blog not too long ago, and I wanted to write it down to make sure that I got it exactly right. I wanted to quote the author exactly right. And he was not being facetious. He was not being sarcastic when he wrote this. But he wrote these words in his blog. He wrote, one of my greatest qualities is my humility. All right, let that sink in. (laughs) One of my greatest qualities is my humility. Not sure you've got that one all the way right. All right. Maybe don't want to list that one in skills when you're talking about qualifications for the, for the job. You go into the interview, well, one of my greatest strengths is my humility. That's not exactly how it works. Not exactly how it works. But it's something, humility is something that we instantly recognize in other people. We instantly recognize when it's not there. But we're not always that self-aware. And the key, he says, starts with being humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Allow God to exalt you. Don't worry about it. You do the right thing. You, you live your life in the way that you should live your life. You see yourself and you practice humility. You don't take every opportunity to tell everybody how great and fantastic and marvelous you are. You live your life the right way. You do the right thing and you leave the rest up to God. And he says, God, in his due time, in the proper time, he will exalt you. But herein lies a problem for so many of us. That god's time frame and our time frame seldom align and one of the most frequent frustrations of prayer is that we ask god for something and god doesn't respond on our time frame seldom does god's time frame and our time frame align and oftentimes when we have the benefit of hindsight we can go back and we can see, and we can chart out exactly how God was working and exactly what God was doing and all the ways that he was moving throughout. But at the time, we were blind to those things and we missed those things. But we don't always have the benefit of that hindsight. And God's time frame and our time frame do not always align. And therein lies part of the problem. That God's time frame isn't dependent upon us. But we must wait on him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then verse 7 starts this way. Casting all your anxieties on him. Casting all your anxieties on him. When I was in middle school, I used to go fishing with my grandpa. I'm not talking out in a boat to the deep waters. I'm talking a couple lawn chairs on some docks. We would fish for hours, sometimes, okay, oftentimes, not catching anything, no music. If I would ask a question, I would get a one or two word answer. he would never follow up with a question. That would be it. And after about an hour of this, I'd be like, this is so boring. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? And then I got married and had kids. And now I understand exactly what the man was doing. And listen, listen, I'm sure Brooke loves the solitude just as much as I do when I leave her, all right? So it's not just a one-way street. But he just he just wanted the silence. He just wanted the solitude. Well, one day I was having a problem with my line. And I know this could be a major shock to most of you, but I don't know much about fishing or how to how to process or fix a fishing pole or fix line if it gets tangled. So my grandpa came over and he was messing with the line and he was getting everything ready. And I didn't realize it, but my hand was on the trigger. And he said, go ahead and cast it out and see if if that takes care of the problem. And I went to cast out the line and with my hand being on the trigger, the hook swung and it stuck in the back of his head. Now, listen, World War II veteran, greatest generation, lived through the Depression. These men showed no pain. He ripped the hook out of the back of his head and threw it down and said, Next time, watch what you're doing so that you're not flinging hooks at people. And then I took a couple steps back and cast the line out away from the dock into the deeper water where we were fishing. And I wonder how many times when the anxieties of today, the anxious thoughts of tomorrow, plague our minds. Instead of casting those out to God, into the distance, as we've been instructed to do, How many times do we cast those anxieties only to catch them as soon as we cast them and then carry them ourselves? God invites us to cast the anxieties, to cast our anxiousness, to cast the thoughts that plague our minds away from us onto Him. Do you carry your anxieties? Or do you cast them? Why can we do this? Well, verse 7 tells us when it concludes. It says, because He cares for you. God wants to carry your issues because He cares about your life. Your Creator, the Creator of this universe... Intrinsically cares about you and what is going on in your life God is not a distant deity God is not somebody who's unimpressed with the things that happen to you And are going on in your life God legitimately cares about you and what is happening in your life Your creator loves you and values you And is invested in your life, in your story, and what is happening in the day-to-day. You might think this is too minuscule to, to matter to God, and you couldn't be more wrong. And the invitation and the instruction is for us to take those things that plague us and to cast them to a God. not just hears them, but who cares? Who cares about what goes on in our lives? Verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Now, we all live in Wisconsin, so we've all seen drunk people. I mean, it it just comes from part of living in Wisconsin and we just don't point, all right? We just don't point. We all saw it. We all saw it on display the, the day the Supreme Court struck down the safer-at-home orders. The news crews, they went right to the bars, and we got to see it on full display, all right? And maybe some of you were out there and featured on the news. No judgment here. You know, you, you deal with that, whatever. But we've, we've all seen. We've all seen the, the results of intoxication. We've all seen people who, who just are out of their minds and, and operate when when they aren't sober-minded and the invitation here is to be in control of your thoughts be in control of your thoughts be sober-minded don't allow your thoughts to to influence you you influence your thoughts be sober-minded and yet there's something that we all face some on a degree much more than others And it's something that there's a stigma around and we don't necessarily like to discuss because there's great uncertainty and it forces us to ask questions about ourselves of how can we as people who love Jesus, people who want to operate in such a way, people who believe such a thing, sometimes have thoughts which contradict everything we know that are true. And if you've ever experienced intrusive thoughts, you know the struggle That comes when your mind is plagued by things that you know are not true. But you cannot shake. There was a period in my life a few years ago where I experienced this for the very first time. And I found myself paralyzed. By the fact that there were thoughts in my mind which I knew for a fact I did not believe. And yet I could not shake. And there would be nights where I would be sound asleep only to be awakened in the middle of the night with thoughts that were just pressing my mind, which I knew for a fact I did not believe, and yet they were thoughts that I I couldn't wrap my head around. How could somebody who loves Jesus, how could somebody who knows the truth on so many things be be forced to face these things and be forced to go to war within my mind? And, And how could I find myself here and for a while i didn't want to talk to anybody about them because i knew that i i didn't really believe what, what was there but at the same time they would just keep coming back and i finally just after i'd had enough i talked to a mentor And he said brian everybody experiences this at some point He said and the greatest danger is when you feel like you're the only person who ever has because you don't talk to anybody. And it's not an issue of whether or not you think they're true. Our minds are just like any other part of our body. They can get sick. There can be an imbalance. And if you've ever experienced Going through and experiencing thoughts which, at your core, you know are not true, but you cannot shake them. The feeling of helplessness can overcome you. Does it mean that there's something wrong? Well, yeah, it means that there's something wrong, but does it mean that there's a spiritual reason? Does it mean that you don't love Jesus enough? Does it mean that you don't have enough faith? Does it mean that it is not true? No. No. In a minute, we're going to see why this happens, but how do we wrap our minds around being sober-minded if we have thoughts that come in and intrude our minds that we know aren't true but we cannot shake? And herein lies the important thing, to be watchful, to be on guard, To understand that our minds, just like every other part of us, are fallible. And that just because something is thought or processed does not mean that we cling to it or hold to it or believe it to be true. So we are to be watchful of the things that we think to make sure that they are true. I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in a place where things and thoughts are are plaguing your mind, which you know are not true, you are not alone. And that's nothing to be ashamed about. So don't feel like you have to carry that burden by yourself. Talk to somebody. And every time those thoughts come, You replace those thoughts with statements of truth. But why do they happen? Well, verse 8 continues. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You have an enemy. You had an adversary. Jesus describes his nature in John 10 for us. When he says the thief, the adversary, Satan, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is the goal of the adversary, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you have an adversary who wants to steal your joy. You have an adversary who wants to kill you. You have an adversary who wants to destroy you. And he is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he is just waiting to pounce. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. We are all engaged in a battle. That's why we must be watchful and be on our guard. Verse 9 goes on to tell us what we need to do. It says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world resist him this is the first step resist resist put up a fight don't just go along with it understand that so much of what is sold to us with the promise that this is going to be good and this is what pleasing is is going to be pleasing if it goes outside of god's will for our lives it is not and it is ultimately a plan to destroy us resist that even though it looks good resist that temptation Well, how do we do that? By being firm in our faith. By being firm in our faith. Well, what does that look like? How can we be people who are firm in our faith? Well, it starts with this understanding that God loves you. Embrace that concept, not academically, Embrace that concept emotionally and spiritually. That God loves you. That God has seen your faults. He has seen your mistakes. He has seen your stupidity. He's factored all of that in and he still loves you. It's like being a parent of a teenager. You know you know there's going to be some stupidity. And there's a period of years where it only gets more and more on display. There was was a period of time where I had quite a few emergency room visits. And and this was pre-YouTube. So now you got every teenager who wants to be a YouTube celebrity just doing the most dumb thing they can possibly think of and recording it and then posting it online and then you're having to drive them to the emergency room all because they were stupid. Now, you don't, you don't stop loving them because they made some dumb choices. You factor in their stupidity and you love them anyways. And God does that for you and for me. God has seen my stupidity on full display. He's seen every one of my faults. He's seen every one of my mistakes. And He still loves me. To the point that He would come and die. So that I could have a relationship with Him. God has seen my faults. He's seen my mistakes. He's seen my stupidity. He's seen my thoughts, and he still loves me, and he still loves you. And until you embrace this truth, that God loves you, until you embrace this emotionally and spiritually, you are never going to grow and develop in the way that you should, Second, is get to know the heart of God. Get to know the heart of God. God's heart is on display for us throughout Scripture. And this is why we encourage you to be engaged with Scripture, to read Scripture, to interact with Scripture, to meditate on Scripture, to memorize Scripture. But it's foundational because this is the way that God has chosen to reveal His heart to us. Third, experience God's pleasure in worship. For some people, that's nature. And to go out and experience God's creation and see God's creation on full display, it centers them and it brings them back to their creator. For some people, it's singing. And sometimes we sing because we believe every word, and sometimes we sing so that we will believe every word. But for some people, it's singing. For some people, it's baking. That when they bake, they experience the pleasure of God. For some people, it's running a marathon. For the rest of us, we wonder what's wrong with you. But for some people, it's running a marathon in every step of that 26 point whatever miles of stupidity that you're running. You experience God's Pleasure when you run. Whatever the case may be for you. Experience the presence of God. and Embrace it. This, this is how we are firm in our faith. This is how we can resist the adversary. This is what centers us when those thoughts come that plague our minds, which we know aren't true, but we cannot shake. This is what happens when the anxiety is crippling us and it's pushing down on our chest. This is the path to freedom. And remember, you aren't alone. Verse 9 ends, Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The lie of the enemy is that you're the only one. Well, you're the only one who's experienced this. You're the only one who's thought that. You're the only one who's ever done this. You're the only one who. You're not. You aren't alone. We are all engaged in battles, and your battle is going to look different than my battle, but it doesn't mean that we should be isolated because of that, and it doesn't mean that we have nothing in common. Just because your mistakes and your sin look different than my mistakes and my sin doesn't mean that we can't help each other. Do not be isolated. Do not try to go through life alone. Because you aren't alone. Verse 10 says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God never allows your struggles to go to waste. God never allows your struggles to go to waste. God is always working in and through your life even your mistakes, even your regrets, God can use for his glory. God never lets your struggles go to waste. Never lose sight of that. And always remember, he is still working on you and in you. You are not a finished product. You aren't done. God is still working on and in you. So stop holding yourself to some unattainable standard that doesn't give you a license to make every stupid decision that you want to make. But understand that God is not done with your story. He is not done with you. And then we arrive at verse 11. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Understand that God gets the final word. God gets the final word. That God is glorified and God will be glorified and God can be glorified in you and in your journey and in your story. So I have a question. Are you holding on to 30 or 35 years ago? Are you holding on to three or five years ago? Are you holding on to three or five weeks ago? Are you allowing regret to shape your life? Because God wants to do something differently through your story. This is so beautiful that 30 to 35 years after Jesus and Peter had the conversation about Peter denying him three times, Peter is now writing us the path to peace. And it starts with humility. It starts with us being humble. And understanding that it isn't up to us, but it's up to God. And it's not on our time frame, as much as we'd love it to be. But it's on His. That when the anxiety comes, and it plagues our hearts, and it plagues our minds, That we are to cast it out. That we are to push it to God. And the reason we do that is because He legitimately cares about you and He legitimately cares about me. He doesn't want us to carry it. He wants us to let it go. That we, understanding that we can cast that anxiety to Him, and we can can understand that He cares for us. We're to operate with clear minds. And when the intrusive thoughts come, we don't allow them to win the day. And we replace every lie that plagues our minds with words of truth. that we acknowledge the lies that we're experiencing and the lies we can't shake, but we are not held prisoner by them, and we replace those things with statements of truth, that God is good, that we are his children, that we are loved, that we have intrinsic value because he died for us, and that God gets the final word. We don't let our adversary destroy us. But we fight back. We fight back with faith. Embracing the fact that we are loved. Discovering the heart of God by reading His Word. And finding delight in God. In our worship. that when the battles come, and they will, we aren't quick to give in, but we stand firm. And we understand that we aren't going through this alone. And we exalt God in everything. For he is worthy, He is to be worshiped. And this is the path to break free from the chains of regret and to not allow your past to define you and have the final word. I pray, God, that we would be people who experience freedom. I pray we would see ourselves as you see us. No more, no less. That we would stop trying to build our own legacies. But instead would let you go to work. I pray, God, that we would cast our anxiety to you. not catch it and carry it I pray that we would really emotionally and spiritually accept the fact that you care about us that you love us that when the intrusive thoughts plague our minds we would refuse to let them win we would replace every lie with truth, and we wouldn't feel like we have to walk through this journey alone, that when the enemy comes, we would fight, resting in your love, attuned to your heart, and delighting in your worship as we worship you. God, that we would always remember that you are great you are to be glorified so we can stop living in the past. We can stop allowing regret to win. But we embrace who you are and what you've done. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.